0: Gentlemen, for being here on this great Wednesday evening. Thank you for coming. And I just looked at my clock on my wrist and <laughs> realized it's time to start. So thank you all for being here tonight. As we start, as we always do, let's begin with prayer. Wednesday night used to be called prayer meeting. I want to make it a time of prayer tonight. And as we do, remember those on your prayer sheet. Hope you picked all those that list up as you came in the door. Obviously, then, we want to pray for John. How is John? I haven't heard a report from him. Is he doing better? He's not out and about yet, is he? Okay. But remember, John, you see on your on your list there uh, the family of Kane Shore, the family of Brian Desmukes. You see all the shut-in lists. Let me read that shut-in list, and we want to pray for them. Uh, Mary Carty, Sheila uh, Galbraith. Ruth Traber, Patsy Morris, Jesse Smith, Mac and Carolyn McAllister, Sue Bowling, and Frank Cobb. Remember all those shut-ins. When I was a pastor and I would visit nursing homes, uh, it was sad that some people in the nursing home had nobody that ever came in to see them. They were just they had no family, or if they had family, the family didn't come. So let's not forget about those who have served the Lord, but now are unable to be with us. Pray for them regularly. Uh, You see the other uh, things, requests there. Miles is going to have surgery, I think, sometime coming up. I won't take time to read all of these, but as we pray, pray for the school children as they begin. Most, some have already started back, some will be starting back. I believe Clemson students move in this coming weekend, maybe. Uh, North Greenville University, Anderson University, I think they moved in last weekend. Um, Pray for all of them. Pray for our country during these days, our leaders, our leadership. And as we pray, pray for your new interim pastor who will be starting Sunday. Uh, asked god to just be with brother reverend mike bowling i've known him for many years great man of god he has a great wife so you pray for them as, as you' you'll come to love him and appreciate him pray for as you begin to process of finding a getting a search committee to find a pastor so pray to that end as well yes uh-huh So pray for Miss Jesse Smith fighting with the insurance company over being able to go to rehab. Let's pray that the insurance company would relent and do what they ought to do in that regard. Amen. Other prayer requests? Could you say that just a little louder? Your daughter lost fathers in the hospital. Let's remember him in prayer. What is his name? what's his name? Floyd Rogers. Let's pray for brother Floyd Rogers. Other prayer requests? So pray for Pastor Mars. So she may be at St. Francis by now. Yeah. All right. All right, so let's continue to pray for her. Other prayer requests? Let's go to the Lord in prayer, lifting all these requests. If you have an need, unspoken need, let's remember all those to the Lord. Pray with me tonight. Father, we thank you for the privilege to bow in your presence. Thank you for your power, your grace. Thank you for your glory. We pray that we would uphold your honor and your glory and, and your name. Lord, I pray tonight for those who have been mentioned for all those who are listed on the prayer sheet. Lord, we lift them to you in prayer and ask that you minister to them and meet their needs. Whatever their needs, we pray that you lead them and heal them, be with the doctors and nurses and be with the caregivers. We lift before you the students who will be going back to school, who are already back in school, some of them. We pray, dear Lord, for Liberty First Baptist Church as they make the transition as a new interim pastor begins this coming sunday as they start the process of finding a new pastor lead them i pray every step of the way lord i pray tonight now for our time together in bible study we commit it to you and pray that you'd cause your word to come alive in our hearts we ask our prayer in jesus name amen All right, what I want to talk about tonight, I started several weeks ago on some of the greatest chapters in the Old Testament. Um, No, that's not it. And so I want to continue that tonight. I wish we had enough time to go all through that. Tonight, I want to look in Genesis 22. And we'll look at Abraham. What did I say? Well, see, you're going to have an interim pastor here, and I'm giving you peanut butter. He's going to give you filet mignon. He's just going to... (laughs) Genesis 22. We we looked at through the book of... There is a theme through the entire Bible, and that theme is Jesus. He is the theme of the entire... uh, all the Scripture. Genesis 3.15, we looked at that, we... Keep going back to that Genesis three fifteen was a pivotal time in the history of the world. Genesis three fifteen after the sin of Adam and Eve, and God confronts them with their sin. He says, "Adam, what did you do? It wasn't me. It was Eve. Eve, what did you do? It wasn't me. It was a serpent." And so, in Genesis three fifteen, God is addressing Satan in the form of the serpent, and He says, "You, I will put enmity between you." and the seed of the woman, you will bruise his heel, and he will bruise your head. It's the first prediction, the first prophecy in Scripture concerning the crucifixion of Jesus. God is going to put enmity between, God is going to do something. Now, the reason I know he's talking about Jesus here, a woman doesn't have seed. That's the part of man's reproductive system. And so when he says she will have her seed, he's talking about the virgin birth of Jesus. And that enmity, the fight then between the Lord Jesus Christ and Satan. And so all through the scriptures, you see that coming again and again and again. And not taking time to um, look at all the things and review all the things we've already talked about, I do want to talk about uh, what happened as we move into Genesis chapter 22. In Genesis chapter 22 I'm trying to find a particular note I know that I have here. uh, But apparently I left that note somewhere else and it's not in my notes here in my little notebook. Um but at any rate, Genesis 22. Let's turn there, and we're going to read some verses. And all of this goes back to Genesis 3:15, and it goes forward to the New Testament. Genesis 3, uh, Genesis. I'm sorry, Genesis 22, beginning in verse one. And it came to pass after these things. What things? Now this is the call of Abraham. Remember. The first 11 chapters of Genesis gives us the beginning of human history. Genesis 12 and following is the beginning of Hebrew history. Human history, 1 through 11. Hebrew history, Genesis 12 and following. And so in Genesis 12, when God calls out Abraham... He says, his name was Abram. Was it Abram? I, I'm going I'm to make of you a great nation, and your seed will be as plentiful as the sands of the, of the beach. And God made Abram or Abraham a promise those who bless you, I will bless, and those who curse you, I will curse. Abraham is the beginning of the Hebrew people the Hebrew the Jewish people now the question kind of I'm I'm, maybe seem like I'm running a rabbit here but I'm not really I'm gonna bring this back why did God choose Abraham why did God choose the Jews Uh, there's a little poem that I used to hear a long time ago how odd of God to choose the Jews well why did he why, why are the Jews God's chosen people? Well, for a couple of reasons, God chose Abraham and the Jewish people because Abraham was a man of faith by faith. Abraham in Genesis I'm sorry, in Hebrews 11, the New Testament book of Hebrews, Hebrews 11, by faith, Abraham did this and this and this and this. Abraham was a man of faith. So, because of his faith and his faithfulness, God said, I'm going to bless you and make the people plentiful. So, God chose the Jews to be the group who would tell the world about God. That was their job. That was their purpose. He wanted them to tell the world about God's love, his sovereignty, his power, his... uh, who he was, his grace, his mercy. So he called the Jews and he said, share this good news with the whole world. Well, Abraham did for a while and the others did. But as they started to move away from Abraham to the next generation and the next and the next, the Jews came to believe that God was their own personal God. They didn't want anybody else to follow him. They didn't want anybody else to know God. They they sort of kept him to themselves. And so because the Jews failed in their primary purpose, that is of God brought his son in the world through a Jewish woman. God wanted the Jews to be the body through whom he would save the world. They, They failed. So in the New Testament then, Paul the first, the, the, not the first apostle, but the, the first evangelist, I guess you could say, first missionary anyway, Paul said, I'm turning from the Jews to the Gentiles, because the Jews, they, they didn't want the Gentiles to come in, they didn't want the Gentiles to be saved, you and I are Gentiles, anybody who's not a Jew is a Gentile. So God said, okay, Jews, you won't tell the world. I'm going to call out. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to get a whole new group of folk who will tell the world about me. So he birthed the church made up of Jews and Gentiles and whoever. So so God says, "I'm, I'm going to work through the church to evangelize the world. So now it's our duty and responsibility and our privilege to evangelize the world. All right, let's go back to Abraham. After these things, verse one, chapter 22, after these things, So God called out Abraham, and Abraham had several tests. Look at verse one. And he can't fast after these things that God did tempt Abraham. That's not a good rendering of that word. The actual word there, you could write this in the margin. It's the word test. God tempts no one. Temptation does not come from God. It comes from Satan. Whenever Satan tempts anyone, he does it to bring out the worst in us and to drive a wedge between us and God. Temptations come from Satan. Testing comes from God. When God tests us, it's not to hurt us or to harm us, but he tests us in order to bring out our best, to make us stronger. To make us more of whom God wants us to be. So the word in verse twenty, uh, chapter twenty-two, verse one, is the word "test." So God put Abraham to a test. Abraham has several tests in these chapters. He had he and he passed the test. He passed some and he failed others. He passed the test about leaving. God said, I want you to leave your land, Ur of the Chaldeans. I want you to leave over there in what is now Iraq. I want you to leave there and come over to the other place. I want you to go here, and I'm going to do something different with you. Leave your family and your friends and your kindred. Leave everybody and move over here. And so he packed up and left. pastors come to see me occasionally or they'll call me on the phone or they'll write me a letter and they will say I'm interested in changing churches I'd like to relocate could you help me here's my resume I do a whole lot I do that quite often when you get a search team together I will give them eight or ten resumes to begin with not a recommendation necessarily but here are some people who are interested in making a change It'll be up to them to find out if they're worthy. But pastors come see me, and they'll say, I'd like, could you help me relocate? I'd like to change. I feel like it'd be good for the church. It'd be good for me. Okay, and so we talk a little bit. And one guy. I'm thinking about one in particular, one person in particular who's local. If I called his name, you might even know him. And I said, I know a church over in Pageland, strong church, good church, Page. think of the map of South Carolina if you put your finger on Charlotte and go through Myrtle Beach you go right through that so I said that's three and a half hours or so I said that's a strong church 350-400 in worship great music it is a fabulous church. I preached there many times myself and he said well I, I don't want to move that far away I said okay so he came to see me again. He said, I'm still interested in moving. So I said, well, I know another church. Well, I've got, i, I got, I, I want, and so I, I kind of said, I can't help you, brother. When God called me to preach, I said, God, I'll go wherever you want to send me. <laughs> and my feeling is, if you surrender to do the will of God, you got to go. He may send you across the street. He may send you to Africa. He may send you, but the thing is, you go where God calls you to go. God said to Abraham, I want you to leave and go somewhere else. He said, okay. Packed up So he passed that test. He passed the family test in that uh, Lot came along with him, his nephew. Lot was not nearly as spiritual as was Abraham but he came along and uh, you know the story of Lot. They got into a fuss. Lot's Herdsman, Abraham's herdsman, got into an argument about grass and water and where whose animal was who and all. They didn't have branding irons back then, and so Abraham said, "Wait, Lot, we've got to separate." And Abraham said, "Lot, you look around. If you want to go this way, I'll go that way. If you'd rather go that way, then I'll go over here. But the best thing we do is separate our herd and separate because and so Lot looked around and over there." well water plains, there was plenty of green grass, it just looked, I mean the grass was greener, over here it looked like desert and Lot said, well Abraham, I'm going to go over here okay, you go, he went to Sodom and Gomorrah you know what happened there the whole story, I wish we had time to talk about all of that, it's so pertinent but anyway. So, but, uh, he, he passed a lot of tests, I'm going to have to hurry or I won't get through here tonight either so, so Abraham passed a lot of this but he fell a couple of places along the way he got fearful on one occasion when it came to famine they, they were ran, running out of food so what did he went down to Egypt he got in trouble down there Sarah his wife was a very beautiful woman Pharaoh had eyes for Sarah and he inquired about who she was and Abraham said well she's my sister no she's his wife but he's thinking his reasoning was if I tell him that she's my wife he'll kill me so he can have her he lied and finally Pharaoh figured out that she was his wife and not his sister and he had to leave Egypt so Abraham was a good man he was a man of faith but like us he had his flaws so he passed a lot of tests but he failed some tests along the way just like us Sometimes we pass the test that God puts before us. God puts it out there to grow our faith, to stretch us in our walk with Him. And sometimes we pass with flying colors, and other times we fall flat on our face. Because none of us are perfect. Not yet. We will be one day, but we aren't yet. In a testimony meeting on one occasion pastor was talking to the group and he said now does anybody know anybody who's perfect this one old guy kind of raised his hand he said sir you tell me you're perfect he said no but I think my wife's first husband was perfect because she talks about him a lot well no nobody's perfect none of us are we all have flaws and warts and wrinkles So let's move forward. Verse 1, after these things, a lot of stuff has already gone on. Abraham has been tested. He's been tried. He has gone through the fire. He succeeded and, in some cases, failed in others. But look what happened. God tested Abraham. Now, this is the greatest test of Abraham's life, the hardest test he would ever face. Verse 2, now here's the test. And God said, take now thy son, thine only son, Isaac, whom thou lovest. Now why did he say this? He's reminding Abraham of who Isaac is. Remember, he's come to them in his old age. He and Sarah believed they would not have children. So take your son, your only son. There won't be another. He's your only one. And you love him with all that's in you. Take your son, your only son, and get thee into the land of Moriah and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. What? Take my son and offer him as a sacrifice? I have one daughter. I love my daughter, but I wouldn't give her life for the life of a criminal, would you? Would you give your child? No, you wouldn't. Yet God gave his only son for the sins of the world. Take your son, your only son, whom you love, and go to Moriah, and I'll tell you when you get there to the mountain. Verse 3, there's no argument, there's no question, there's no debate. So Abraham rose up early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son clave the wood for the burnt offering and he rose up and went to the place of which God had told him. Can you see that? Sarah's not there. It's Abraham and Isaac and two of their servants, two young men. Now, remember, Abraham at this time is well over 100 years old. Isaac is most likely a teenager, 18, maybe 20 years of age. He's not a little boy, he's a grown man in in essence. And they're going, and Abraham knows this. Isaac doesn't know this. I'm quite sure that Sarah didn't know what was going to happen. The young men didn't know what's going to happen, but only Abraham. And, God is, and so he obeys the Lord. So he has to be thinking, God, you've made some promises to me. Now, you read read Hebrews 11. And we don't have time to turn over there tonight. But in Hebrews 11, in the hall of fame of faith, Abraham's doing some thinking. He's trying to figure this out. Did it seem reasonable that God would ask him to sacrifice his son, to burn his son on the altar? Did it seem reasonable? Because God had said to him, I'm going to make your descendants and your seed plentiful, and through you I'm going to send the Messiah into the world. If he slays Isaac on the altar, how could God keep his word? In the mind of me or you would say it can't happen if, if Abraham obeys God God can't send the Messiah if Abraham disobeys God he can't be the man of faith what's he got to do so Hebrews 11 in the New Testament tells us how Abraham in his mind rationalized this Here's what he said in Hebrews 11. God's made some promises to me. God can't lie. God will not lie. I believe that God will keep His word. I believe truth. I believe God told me to do this, but I also believe that God told me He's going to make me a great of a great nation, and my descendants will be many, many people. So Abraham said, "Here's the only thing I can figure out: if God." allows me to go through this and kill my son the only thing I can imagine is God's going to raise him from the dead so he trusted God for a resurrection that had never happened never anybody even thought of a resurrection but Abraham had that kind of faith in God verse 4 then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. It was a particular place, not just any place, a specific place. He saw it and he said, that's it, that's the place. Verse 5, and Abraham said to his young men, Abide you here with the donkey, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and will come again to you. See, even here you see the resurrection. Because he knows what he's about to do, but he says, we're, we will come again to you. How is he going to explain this to Sarah unless it were a resurrection? How would he ever explain that to anybody? So he says, I and him, he will come to you. Verse 6, and Abraham took the, uh, uh, took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son and he the fire in his hands and a knife and so they went both of them together what has to be going through Abraham's mind what, has to, what must he be thinking this is my only son I love him I'd, I'd give my life for him and God has called me, God has asked me to do something that just seems beyond everything that God is about. How could a God of love tell me to kill my son? It has to be thinking that. Don't you know that old Abraham, 100, 105, years old, don't you know that was a long walk up that hill up there to where the sacrifice was going to take place? verse 7 and Isaac spoke unto Abraham his father and he said father and he said "Here my son so vernacular way of saying that is Abraham said uh, Isaac said hey father yes yeah, son what is it behold the fire and the wood But where's the lamb for the offering? Isaac now begins to figure out something. Wait a minute. He said, something's missing here. Father, here's the fire. There's the wood to build the altar. One important thing is missing. Where's the lamb? He's beginning to think maybe he's going to be the sacrifice. He's beginning to put it together. So what has to be going through the mind of Isaac? Is he going to let his father do this? Will he submit? Will he yield? Will he, will he uh, allow his father to bind him and put him on that burnt offering? Burning, burning. Uh, will he allow his father to do Now remember, Abraham is an old man, 100, 105, years old. Isaac is probably 20 years old. He could have easily out wrestled his father and got away it had been no contest he could have physically resisted where's the lamb abraham asked a question in verse 7 that's attempted to be answered throughout the rest of the Bible look at at what Abraham said and David said my son God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering and they went both of them together God will provide himself a lamb now there are two ways to look at that verse God himself will provide a lamb that's an accurate reading But an accurate reading is also God will provide himself to be the lamb. There are seven or eight compound names of God used in the Old Testament. One of them is used here. It's the name Jehovah-Jireh. Jehovah-Jireh, the compound name of God. And what Jehovah-Jireh means is God will see to it, or God will provide. So what what we read in English, God himself will provide a lamb, he simply said Jehovah-Jireh, God will provide, God will see to it. I'm so thankful that God is Jehovah-Jireh. And whatever their need is in my heart, in yours, in my life, in yours, whatever the need in your church is, Jehovah-Jireh, God will see to it. God will provide. That is the promise that we have from our Heavenly Father that God is ready, willing, and able to provide whatever we need along life's journey. Jehovah-Jireh. Don't forget that word, Jehovah-Jireh. God will see to it or God will provide back to the question of Isaac father where is the lamb Abraham says son all I can tell you is God will provide all through the rest of the Old Testament that question is trying to be answered we come to the time of Moses in the book of Exodus and they build the tabernacle and they set up the blood sacrifice Over in Egypt, before they got to the desert, Passover, God said to Moses, tell the people to kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorposts. And when the death angel passed through, when the death angel passed through, he will see the blood and will pass over you. There was a lamb for a family. In the Old Testament, of the tabernacle, as they moved through the wilderness, the high priest would go once a year. They would slay, slay that animal and go into the Holy of Holies and take that blood and put it on the mercy seat. It was atonement day. And there was one lamb for a nation. So there's a lamb for a family. There's a lamb for a nation. But the question still is not fully answered. Where is the lamb? Moses didn't fully understand that. Moses did not see that entirely. All through the Old Testament, that answer that question is not fully answered. You move to the New Testament to the Gospel of John and you find the answer to Abraham or to Isaac's question 2,000 years prior, where is the Lamb? John the Baptist was down by the river baptizing. He saw Jesus coming. You know what John said? Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Woo, that makes me excited. To know that here John saw him. There he is. Isaac, there is the Lamb of God. God himself will provide a lamb. There he is, the Lamb of God that will take away the sin of the world. Man. It's rich it's deep where's the lamb God will provide God will see to it verse 9 and they came to the place which God had told him of and Abraham built an altar laid the wood in order and bound Isaac And laid him on the altar uh, upon the wood and Abraham stretched forth his hand and took the knife to slay his son can you visualize just try to picture that there's the altar there's Isaac bound and Abraham has the knife verse 11 and the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven Said Abraham, and he said, "Here am I. He said, what is it, Lord?" And he said, "Lay." And he said, "Lay not thine hand upon the lad; neither do thou anything unto him, for I now know that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me." Now is he offering this to the angel, to God? No. So when you look at verse twelve. Uh, verse eleven, the angel is not an angel like Michael or Gabriel. The angel here is none other than the Lord Himself. Remember, we saw that earlier, and uh, some, and all through the Old Testament, Jesus makes a pre-incarnate appearance. Here, He's not appeared, but He's in heaven. Abraham, stop! I know that you're you you love me, you trust me. Don't do your son any harm. Verse 13. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. Verse 14. And Abraham called the name of that place Jehovah-Jireh. That's the word. Jehovah-Jireh. As it said unto this day, in the matter of the Lord, it he shall, he shall be seen. <laughs> oh, Isaac, can you imagine him? He must have said, Phew. "Abraham must have said." And what does it all mean? It is a dress rehearsal for Calvary it is a picture of what god would do on calvary now here's the unique thing god told moses or told abraham to go to a special place on a particular mountain and build the altar you know where that was is was moriah it was the exact spot most bible scholars believe it was the exact spot where jesus was crucified geographically the exact location where they put jesus on the cross It's the exact spot where Abraham was about to offer his son. It was a dress rehearsal for Calvary. Genesis 3.15 coming forward. And so there are so many typical and theological meanings in this passage. Abraham was a man, but he represents God. God gave his only son, the one whom he loved. He gave his son. Now, Abraham didn't kill his son, but God allowed his son to die. Isaac was willing, but he didn't die. Jesus was willing, and he did die on the cross. Abraham believed that if his son did die, God would raise him up. God did raise his son up the third day after the crucifixion. What does it mean to you and me? A couple of things. It means God calls for our best when we commit ourselves to him. God wants our best. In Abraham's mind, the very best thing, the most precious thing he had was his son. The most valuable thing was his son. He was willing to give God his very best. So many of us give God our leftovers. We give God things that we don't need. We give God something that we're ready to throw out. And it doesn't cost us anything. There's no stretch to it. There's no cost to it. So what I'm saying is when God calls us to follow him, God deserves our very best. Our very best in preparation. I was in a service one time. I attended a meeting, evangelism meeting. The old guy, the preacher got up there and he said he was kind of just thumbing through. He said, well, I'm just waiting to see what God's going to tell me to preach. He had done no preparation. He had done no study. And I wanted to get up and, if I, without making a scene, I would have got up and left. Here's a guy who's preaching. He's given no thought, no forethoughts. And he said, well, I want to be spiritual. I want to hear what... Listen, don't you think God can speak to you a day ahead or a week ahead or a month ahead just as well as he can standing on a pulpit? There has to be some preparation. My home church sometimes growing up. I remember this when I was a child. Somebody would get up to sing. We had great talent in that church, but sometimes they would get up and they would say, well, I haven't had time to practice this week, so I'm going to do the best I can. And I want to go... (laughs) You have a practice. God deserves our best. I came from a great church. I mean, I cannot express what I owe in my spiritual formation and my spiritual development, uh, especially a few people in the church there. (laughs) Uh, God just poured into my life through those precious people. Love that church. What I'm saying is God deserves our best. Don't give him your half-hearted service. Don't give him half-hearted attendance. Don't give him half-hearted love. He deserves our best. Young guy, a little paper boy. This took place in the early 1900s in a large city. A little paper boy was... Selling newspapers, actually. And on that particular day, he had 37 cents, 32 pennies, and a nickel. And he went into that, the most expensive flower shop in that city. I mean, crystal and all of that. He went in there, and the guy, the the artist, really, with flowers, saw him come in. He said, son, I don't need a paper today. He said, mister, I'm not buying today. I'm not selling today. I'm buying. And the florist thought, what can he want in this flower shop way out of his league? He said, you see, mister, he said, today's my mama's birthday. My daddy died before I was born. My sister's already gone to heaven. And my mama's sick. And today's her birthday. And nobody but me knows it's her birthday. And I want to buy my mama the best bouquet of flowers in this town for her birthday touched the floor so much he said well son i tell you what i will your your mother for her birthday day will have the best and most beautiful flowers in this town i promise you and with an, as an artist he started to pick bud and vase and, and flower and all that, and put it together and he brought it out and the little boy just breath his eyes were big his breath taken away at the beauty of this bouquet of flowers the floor is wrapped it up in green wax paper and the little boy said, Sir, how much does that cost? He forgot, he told him it had 37 cents. He was, Son, oh, this is 37 cents. He said, That's exactly what I got. And he threw down 32 pennies and a nickel. And just like that, he darted out the door. As he ran out the door, people screamed and they were screeching metal against metal. He ran out in front of a, of a cable car. came in just a little bit, police came and sirens were going and ambulance came and there was mangled, a mangled body with legs and arms everywhere and they loaded the little boy onto the stretcher and put that bouquet of flowers that miraculously was unarmed and they took him to the hospital in the emergency room the little boy sort of regained conscious and saw the doctor and he said, Doc, where am I? he said, son, you're in the hospital, you've been in an awful accident and he began to realize, he said, my legs are gone, are And the doctor said, yeah, they were, we had to remove your legs. He said, Doc, I'm not long for this world, am I? Wiping back the tears, the doctor said, no, son, you're not. He said, Doc, would you do something for me? He said, today's my mama's birthday. He said where's that bunch of flowers i had and the doctor got him, moved him he said today's my mama's birthday and i was taking her these flowers doc i won't be able to do that would you take these flowers to my mother you know where i live would you take them to my mother over oh, in the tent of my house I tell her it's not much she's 37 cents but it's the best i had and tell her i love her very much The little boy went heavenward. The doctors and nurses cried. The doctor said, I'll do that, son. So he gathered up the flowers and went to the rest over in a tenement house well on the other side of the east side of the town. He went into the room and the mother said, Doc, why are you here? Now? So he pulled up a chair and began to tell her what had happened to her son. cried and she prayed and she prayed and she cried finally she's adopted my little boy say anything before he passed before he went to be with Jesus he said yes he told me to tell you that he would to bring you these bouquet of flowers not much just 37 cents worth but it's the best he had and he said I tell you that he loves you very much you may have heard that story But it amplifies, I think, what we see in Genesis 22. God deserves our best. He gave his best to us. He gave his only begotten son. He gave heaven's best. How dare we give him anything less than our very best? In service, in ability, in time, in our devotion? The best of our heart, the best of our mind. The truth is, and I'll leave you with this thought that we're going to have a prayer. The truth is, God didn't want Isaac, He wanted Abraham. God doesn't want your Isaac. Whatever's the most important thing there, God doesn't want your Isaac, He wants you, and He wants your best. Would you pray with me that you would give God your best, that I would give God my best? Would you pray with me that the members of Liberty First Baptist Church would give God their best in the days and weeks and months to come? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you that... when you engaged Adam and Eve with their awful sin that you didn't destroy the world and start over but you made a way whereby a sinful man can be right with you and in doing so we know that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the world before God ever made the world Lord you knew what would happen to give your son. You gave your best. Lord, we praise you. We thank you. We honor you for that. And now tonight, Lord, I pray that we would resolve in our heart to give you our best. Not our leftover. Not our second best. But Lord, help us to give you of our very, very best. Lord, I pray for every member of this congregation. That even now, wherever they are, that you would stir their heart, that they would come Sunday prepared to give you their very best. Lord, I pray for uh, Brother Bowling as he comes. Lord, that he would give you of his very best. I believe he will. I pray for Donna as she prepares the music and those who play. For those who will teach in Sunday school for those that will receive the offering for those that will sit in the pew Lord may we give you our very best because you deserve no less we ask that you would be with us as we go to our homes and help us to tonight in our own heart in our own mind in our own worship time thank you and praise you for what you've done for us we ask in Jesus name